Welcome to the second episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined again with Ando Anderson. G'day, how you doing? Um, so thanks for joining us for the second week. It's uh, great to have you back again. We've got a lot of rugby to talk about this week, and uh, we've got a pretty cool show lined up for you. So just to uh, remind you all of what we're doing and who we are, um, just our little tagline. We're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. <laughs> now, Ando, last week, our uh, first episode, mm. it went well. I, I'm pretty happy with how things it went. It definitely could have gone a lot worse. I was actually quite happy about <laughs> it, so it's good. Now, I think we uh, were a little bit excited before we sort of just launched into things, and we forgot something. Did we? What did we forget? We forgot to introduce ourselves. Yeah, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I thought we would start things off today by just doing a little bit of an overview of who we are and Mm -hmm. why we love rugby. So... Do you want me to start? I'll leave it up to you to start. Well, I'm honestly a pretty recent convert to the game played in heaven. I um, I grew up playing football or soccer, and I still do. Shame. (laughs) Hey, come on, come on. (laughs) Realistically, I've... I still follow follow Liverpool. It's a good season to be a Liverpool supporter. Um, but I have just grown increasingly dissatisfied with the celebrity nature of football and particularly the lack of respect in so many aspects of the game. Uh, so I basically was looking for something different. I can count past six, so rugby league is not really something I'm a big fan of. Yeah. And basically, I that took me to rugby union. Yeah, cool. So I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the Tars, as hard as it is right now. And because I've come to things new, I'm, I'm still pretty fresh and positive. Yeah. So I really want Oz Rugby to do well, and I just, I'm loving rugby right now, despite the state it's in. So it's good times. That's yeah. who I am. Well, it's good to, uh, good to have a fresh aspect and um, <laughs> view on things. So... A little bit about who I am. Um, I am Mitch, as I said before. I have been involved in rugby pretty much all my life. Grew up playing rugby around uh, Sydney North, so a few different junior clubs. Uh, played a bit of rep footy for Gordon um, and Colts. And then sort of gave it away when I was uh, just out of Colts, really. Got a bit injured and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sort of fell away from the game a little bit. Always... Always uh, still followed and supported it, but wasn't involved running around as much. And just in the last few years, decided to get back into it, and I have just started refereeing. So fantastic! Yeah, it's been um, it's been good putting my my knowledge of the game into practical sense, and it's been really fun. So that's who I am, and I love the Tars, I love the <laughs> Wallabies, I love all things Aussie rugby, and just love talking about it. Really. That's why we're here. That's it's why fun. we're here. It's really yeah. fun. All right. So this week, we've got a few things we're going to run through. So first up, we're going to go dive into some news from the week. Then we're going to talk about the games and sort of break them down. And then we'll have a look forward to next week and have a chat about who we think is going to win or who's how the teams are going to go. Awesome. Well, should we jump on into it with our spicy news update? Let's get into it. So the first piece of news that we're going to cover comes actually from Rugby Pass, who have told us about some worrying, or potentially worrying, movements from Kirtley Beal, Matt Phillips, and Luke Jones. Mm. So for the first one, Beal, he is supposedly set to be signing for an unnamed French 
team. So Shock top 14. Horror. Yep. And then Matt Phillips and Luke Jones, both actually really important players for the Rebels. Yeah. And they they were in a Wallaby squad last year. They were. And in the team. And they're and pushing for another selection this exactly, year. Exactly. Like Matt Phillips. Actually, let's get to that. Yeah. Um, they are going to be heading to Power, which is a French top 14 side. Uh, if you don't really know of Power before, they're not up there with the likes of kind of Toulon, Toulouse, or Racing. Yeah. But they have ex Wallabies captain Ben Moen, who basically went there in the prime of his career when they were um, second division side, and they've since gone up. They have Jesse Mogg, ex Brumbies player, Colin Slade, Conrad Smith played for them, but he's now a coach there. So they've got some pretty good overseas talent, let yeah. alone all the French talent that they have. Yeah. So let's get some commentary. What do you think? Uh, it's um it's always worrying when these reports come out that players are looking at leaving and and going and playing their trade overseas. Mm. Um, I don't really think that it's a bad thing for the players particularly. I think Bill has been struggling with form this year, particularly last year as well. Yep. Um, with a new coach coming in for the Wall for the Wallabies, Wallabies. <laughs> both of them actually. Yeah, Waratars Waratars and Wallabies. And Wallabies. Yep. Um, there's there's real chance that he may not even get selected. So mm. he really needs to think for himself and, and put his name out there and, and see what's going to happen over, overseas and, and next. But well, let's just pause on that for a moment. Cards on the table, you're picking a Wallabies 15 or 23 actually yeah. today, tonight. Who are you picking at fullback? Hale Petty. Okay. Who would yeah. be second? Um, I don't know. I don't know. If, Banks? Tom Banks? But yeah, Tom Banks is second, potentially. Um, I, I don't know if Bill's in the form at the moment but to be selected in that mm-hmm. squad. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Maybe he makes it onto the bench as a utility back. Yeah. Maybe. But even then, but we his need form some hasn't been particularly We need good some for injuries that. for that, I think. Yeah. Um, realistically, if... Hodge gets up to fitness yeah. and has a few good games, then I probably would be backing Reese Hodge yeah. to actually be on the bench. So I don't think with the new regime coming in with the Wallabies, I don't think he's really a locked in Wallaby. No. Despite the fact that he has been an excellent servant for the game for many years, if we leave aside the occasional controversy. Um, and I think from all accounts, he's a decent guy. I think all power to him. Go and make a final payday over in a French competition. You have a limited career. Go earn your money. Set I mean, yourself up. He just got engaged, too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yep. He did. The other thing, too, is that he, he's got the caps that he needs to still be selected for the Wallabies. Yeah, even so if they don't change the Gitto law. Under the Gitto law, he's still eligible for selection if he yep. goes over there. Is it? Do we know how true this article is? No, I haven't seen anything. I mean, it's on Fox Sports and they've got some pretty good contacts, obviously, having been the main provider for a long time. Um, Sorry, it's on Rugby Pass, not Fox Sports. But But that's that's a a big international... I did see it um, shared around on Fox Sports as well. So So it first broke on Rugby Pass and they're an international rugby coverage site. And they've got a really strong stake in the European game. So if... Yeah, it does. It wouldn't surprise me if it does come to pass. He's at the right age for it, right point of his career. Things aren't going great for the Waratahs, and that's probably not going to turn around this season. And look, I just I think it's a good thing for him. But that, in my opinion, is very different to Phillips and yeah, Jones. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So if we sort of flip the cards yep. a bit and we start looking at Phillips and Jones, didn't Jones just come back from Europe as well? Yep. So he's yep. back, and now he's going again. Yeah, it's... Uh, it. That surprises me. Luke Jones really surprises me because he is 
I'm not going to say he's a lock-in for the number six because you've got Liam yeah. Wright, particularly at the Reds, that's absolutely nailing we don't, it. We don't really know who's, who the Wallabies are going to go with in their locking combination. But yeah. at this stage, I wouldn't be looking, at, especially these guys, mm-hmm. so young as they are and they've yep. got their full season and a few years ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's wise of them to start looking offshore? It might well be. Because we're for, we're now at the start of the four-year cycle for the yeah. World Cup. It may be that they're young enough, they're going off for two years, and then they're going to come back again after having made a payday, which, again, they have every right to do they as do. professional rugby players. They do. Um, to go off, get some quality money in the European or Japanese competitions, although they're going to power in France for this, and then come back and try and crack the Wallaby squad. I don't like it. No, I but don't. But it... I, I can understand if that yeah. is the reasoning for it. Because um, Matt Phillips, if you're picking, again, if you're picking the Wallabies team tonight, you've got Isaac Rodder yep. and you've got Matt Phillips as your two locks. Yeah. Maybe if you push Salakai Loto into... Because he's originally a lock. But he's playing as he's a loose forward at He's the playing moment. number six yeah. now. He's originally a lock. Maybe you could squeeze him in, but then you don't have a... Like, Phillips is a line-out general. Yeah. So he calls the line out for the rebels and is doing a pretty good job with it. Um, so yeah, he's been he's been pretty immense in the last few weeks. Yep. So yep. I just wonder. I'll be sad if they go. Yeah. I'll be really sad if they go. But at the same time, like I said, they got every right to. They do. And that's the decision. So anyway, that's the news. Bill Phillips and Jones all looking to head to France. None of it's confirmed yet. That's right. Um, actually, the the Phillips and Jones. Transfer was supposedly announced by a French newspaper, oh. but they always jump the gun. They do. So it may well be that agents are having communications That's and stuff right. like that, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean the deal is done and dusted. That's true. And it may well be that RA kind of steps in and tries offers to be like, tries to offer some more, Rugby Australia them on, top up on or shore, something like yeah. that. Okay, now let's move to the next piece of news. Um, we mentioned the Gitto Law before. So the Gitto Law is essentially where an Australian player who has played how many seasons in Super well, Rugby? Well, you have to get 50 caps. Yeah, so 60. 60, 60 caps, caps, and I think you have to have played a certain number of seasons in Super Rugby. I believe yep. it's eight. Don't quote me on that one. And if they've fulfilled those two criteria and they go overseas, they can still get... Selected. called up for the Wallabies, yeah. which is why um, it's called the Giddo War because it enabled Matt Giddo and Drew Mitchell, who were playing in France at the time at Toulon, yeah. to come back after really successful Super Rugby and Wallabies careers in time for the previous World Cup. Mm. So, the Giddo War is being reassessed. What do you know of this? There's a few different sort of ideas of what uh, people are thinking they're looking at doing. So, mm-hmm. they're either looking at dropping the test cap level from 60, from down, 60 to, down to we don't know. So um, I heard 30. Yeah. I heard They're it was sort of looking at halving it. It's just speculation at the Which moment. then gives the opportunity for a lot of players who are currently <coughs> overseas playing in Japan or Europe, like Samu Karevi, mm-hmm. um, Beric Barnes, potentially. Yeah. Um, Imagine Beric coming back. How yeah. good would that be? I mean, he can kick. Yeah, he can. Um, Let's get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> it opens the door for a number of... Uh, ex-Australian players who are playing overseas in, in international competitions to come back and, and play for the Wallabies and be selected again. Sean McMahon would be a key person as exactly. well. Um, and I think that there's a part of me that's okay with the idea of them dropping the cap limit but keeping Super Rugby 
season length in yeah. there. So you can have players that have been in and about the Wallaby squad for a while, but then but and have played in Super Rugby from yeah. a really young age up until about their 26, 27. So if they start at 18 or something yeah. like that and they've been in the Super Rugby system That's for right. a while. And then they go overseas because... They're not getting the opportunities yeah. here. But then they get into a really good Northern Hemisphere system. They're mature. They get developed, particularly forwards. Yeah. You often get young props and basically someone in a type 5. They don't mature until their late 20s because That's of right. the physical demands of being a type 5 forward. Yeah. And so if they have spent their time in Australian rugby, they go overseas, they get into this excellent system over there, and then they're still available if they've played enough games for the Wallabies. I, I don't mind that. I don't, I don't mind. I, I like the idea of what they're trying to do in that they're trying to open up the door to bring some players back as well, potentially. Yeah. But in saying that, there are a few Wallabies that have come back in the last little while mm-hmm. as an effect of this ghetto law that's that's been beneficial in our in our case. So um, Andrew Kellaway is one of those examples. Yep. Um, he's he's gone over. He's played in uh, New Zealand. He's played in Ireland. England. He was England. playing for Northampton. Um, and so he's yeah, playing in Europe. He's come back and his form is a lot better when, than when he left. And he's yep. come back so he can push his case to be in the Wallabies. Yep. And he's doing well so far. Top Super Rugby try scorer. That's right. Yeah, he's, he's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I worry about and what people are saying is that by opening the... Or by dropping the test cap level to only 30, mm-hmm. um, that you risk the chance of watering down the Australian Super Rugby sort of environment in that all of our top players will be off playing on massive European salaries and then coming back and playing for us and they're not playing for Super Rugby. I wonder if there's a part of it that you're seeing the way that kind of, what's the saying, there's something are falling. Basically, that RA is seeing that they just can't compete with the top European and Japanese they can't. money. They really can't. And they're recognising that they're going to be losing talent anyway. Yeah. Maybe they need to still keep some standards, so they're trying to have reasoning for players staying in Australian yeah. rugby or super rugby. And then also recognising that, hey, we, we, we need to be bringing some of these guys back. Otherwise, nationally, we're not going to be able to compete. I mean, I think it's interesting that they've come out and said this, that they're looking at doing this, because mm. uh, the new coach... Dave Rennie, the first yep. thing he said when he got here and yep. and was talking to the press was that he wants his players playing for Australian rugby, yeah. playing yeah. super rugby. He wants them playing here. He doesn't want to select players who are off playing European. It's a completely different type of game. Yep. Um, if you're a back particularly, it's a completely different setup to it is in the Southern Hemisphere. Yep. So interesting to see if that's just media hype yep. that they're doing this or if it's actually going to come to fruition. Well, let's keep moving on. Yep. Otherwise, we're going to talk about the news for the entire time. Um, we've got two more quick things, so let's just fly through these quickly. The first one, well, the, the second to last one that we're going to cover now is supposedly Dan McKellar, the coach of the Brumbies, is getting headhunted by Rugby Australia to be the forwards coach for the Wallabies. That's right. So I'll just quickly comment on this and then get your thoughts yep. afterwards. Um, basically, you've got Brett Harris talking about this, and you've also got Spiro Zavos, who yep. writes for The Raw. And both of them kind of put forward the point that, number one, whilst Dan McKellar is doing a really good job since taking over from Stephen Larkham, the Brumbies actually haven't won anything yet. Not yet. They are the best Australian team this season. Yep. And they were the best Australian team last season. Yep. But they didn't win anything. And so we just need to be wary of overhyping things, or overhyping him, when at this point you can't really claim he's like a championship coach or anything. 
Now, that's not to say he's not a good coach, and that's yeah. not to say he's not doing a good job, but give him more opportunity to experience success on a provincial level prior to him stepping up as a coach when yeah. the world be set up. That's point number one. Point number two, you take him away, then you're devaluing or taking away from the quality of the Australian super rugby sides. That's true. So he actually right now is doing a job for the Wallabies by being a really good provincial coach. Yeah. So by having a quality team, that is boosting the Wallabies. Because, again, if we were picking the Wallabies team tonight, we'd probably be picking about half of them being um, Brumbies Brumbies players. So you can't claim that he's... Well, I, that's a really good point. I think that if you take them away from the Brumbies, what happens to the Brumbies? That's right. They've they've got a few other <coughs> coaches underneath that potentially could step up. Yeah. But at the same time, and I think um, a player or a coach who's been overlooked by Rugby Australia for years and years is Laurie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Why are they looking at Dan McKellar when they should be looking at Laurie Fisher agreed. for the forward coach? Hundred percent agreed. He's already the forward coach for the Brumbies, and they're the best forwards pack. In definitely Australian Super yep. Rugby, but potentially in all of Super Rugby, yep. like they are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see how that one unfolds, and let's move to our final story. It's a bit of an odd one. It, um, is it doesn't one. come from Australian Rugby. It comes from the recent Six Nation game, Six Nations game with England defeating Wales in a really tight encounter. Tight in many ways. Very tight. So Joe Marler, Squirrel Grips. Inspirational Welsh captain, Alan Wynne-Jones. And if you don't know what a squirrel grip is, it is a grab of the testicles. That's, that's right. Now, um, what did, have you seen the, the footage <laughs> yeah, of this one? Yeah, I've yeah. seen it all. Yourself? I, I saw it. Yep. I've seen it. I don't think you can be a rugby supporter and not see the footage of this. It's <laughs> everywhere. Um, and I think what has been really interesting about this is that it has really divided the rugby community. Yep. There's a lot of people that are calling for Joe Marler to be uh, to face charges. Like they're asking for the police to get involved. Oh, like get harassment. off it! Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it, okay. And on the other side, everyone just—I mean, Joe Marler is just a clown of the sport. He's he is one of the biggest personalities in rugby and has been for many a year. He's up there with kind of James Haskell for the level of kind of social media. <laughs> well, he doesn't have the same social media following, but he's almost got like a cult personality following. He's, yeah, he's not on the socials, but he just like, if you Google Joe Marler, there is yeah. some very, very funny footage of him yeah. just in the, in around the game. He's he's a massive character. Now that is not condoning him grabbing Alan Wynne Jones in that way. Um so I think that there's a couple of things to be considered here. Number one, he's obviously trying to rile up Alan Wynn Jones and get Alan Wynn Jones to punch him or something like that and yeah. then get caught. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Alan Wynn Jones said it in yeah, the post match. He's come comments. out and he said it. He he's... basically said, so it, it was it was really funny. Um, a, a reporter in the post match interview said to Alan Wynn Jones, um, "Would you like to talk about the incident?" He's like, "What incident? The incident where you were grabbed? Can you be specific?" Uh, where Joe Marler grabbed you. Can you be more specific? <laughs> when he grabbed you in testicles. Oh, that. <laughs> so he's, he made him spell it out. And he basically said, look, if I lash out and respond, I'm going to get a red card. Yeah. But I didn't because this is my 138th game. I can control myself. And I'm the captain of the country. Exactly. And so he's basically saying there needs to be something. I yeah. mean, we have all these TMOs. We have all these reviews. And they didn't pick it up and nothing happened. And so I'm just... What's what's your opinion of this situation? What, what do you think should happen here? He needs to serve some type of punishment. 
And I, when I say that, I mean some ban away from the game. Yeah. Because if you don't have some level of punishment, then you're condoning anybody trying to roll up another player by yeah. grabbing an intestine. That's true. Yeah. But at the same time, there's the problem that he's going to face is the minimum charge the entry-level charge for a low-level offence of grabbing and twisting someone's testicles is 12 weeks. Yep. Like, that's huge. It's massive. It's basically the end of the season for the English competition. Yep. Um, I almost think that's too much, but that's actually the minimum that he could possibly get. The problem is he's done this before. Yeah. He did this a bunch of years ago. I can't remember the year. I can't remember the game. I'm sorry. Did he get fined for that? Or did he face some kind of yeah, he did. disciplinary action last time? And so I was listening to the rugby, um, the egg chasers, and they were saying that, look, there are many things that go on in a field, yep. particularly in rocks, yep. that just don't get picked That's up. That's right. And so if you can get away with things within the limit of the laws and get away with it, then okay. It's the way that rugby has been played for years. And I would have very little idea about that. Yeah. You, might, you yeah. might have a better idea. Yeah. But realistically, he was an idiot. He did it in such a way that it's it could very be seen. obvious. It's, it's so everywhere. obvious, and he's going to cop a hefty punishment because yep. of the outrage brigade that's going to jump all over this. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more than twelve weeks. Yeah, I, I think um, personally, I think it's been blown out of the water yeah, a bit. So. It, yeah. it was. Um, I don't know if his intent was to start a fight or to to I get to be was. hit. Yeah. particularly but i think he was just trying to have a bit of a laugh he's that kind of yeah. character as well um probably didn't go about it the right way but <laughs> and there's a lot about the kind of macho rugby culture which kind of condones this yeah so exit achieves in the premiership had this thing for a while where after somebody scored a try there would be a i mean i won't use the language but there would be a slap to the privates Oh. The person that scored the try, and it was a really <laughs> well-known thing that the Chiefs did, and then they got caught on it on live TV, and it made a big thing. And so what they started doing is getting into a circle, like a little huddle. Oh, I didn't see this afterwards. This oh, is like right. two, seasons, two or three seasons ago. Um, so it seems to be something that's a part of rugby culture, but the problem is international stage, incredibly obvious. Not with the opposition team, opposition player trying to get a rise. Yeah. I think we've spoken about this enough. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's put it to bed. So, now we're going to move to the review of the Aussie games. Well, the first game we're going to look at today is the Sunwolves and the Brumbies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was played down in Wollongong at 2.45, changed from being played in Osaka due to the coronavirus. Yep. So, this was a bit of an anomaly for Super Rugby. First time we've seen two games played back-to-back. Um, on a Friday uh, Friday afternoon. At 2.15pm kickoff. Uh, so the results were 47-14 to 14 to the Brumbies. I don't think anyone was too surprised with the results nope. here. Um, so, Ando, what did you sort of take away from this game? Um, look, realistically, the Brumbies were clinical. They got the job done. They got yep. the bonus points. So that's making them obviously sit at the top of the Australian Conference. They're, they're doing the best out of all the teams because of the consistency of the way that they're playing. That's right. And a large part of that is just set up by the forwards platform. Oh, yeah. They have the strongest pack in the Australian conference, probably pretty closely matched by the Reds, but the Brumbies are probably the more consistent because they're more experienced. That's right. Yeah. Um, So those are my initial thoughts. They deserved the win. They got the bonus points. Job done. The Sunwolves were good in patches, but that's me being generous. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was... uh, was uh, the 
the effort that the Brumbies put in was kind of what I was expecting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, clinical, just around the, the field in general, as you said, their forwards were were doing what they needed to do. They were winning clean ball. The backs were running through holes, making gaps. Um, one person that I was really impressed with in this game was uh, Rob Valentini. Yeah, yeah, cool. At number six. Yep. He was everywhere. Mm. Um, I didn't actually catch the whole game. I, I uh, was at work at the time, so and they caught the replay. But from the tries that they scored, it looked like he had a touch in at least three or four of them. Like, yeah. He was making <coughs> gaps. He was breaking tackles. He was just everywhere. He was... He's having his best Super Rugby season so far. And I'm really impressed with the way. So he had 86 run meters and uh, four tackle busts, which is really, really impressive. So he's doing... And he got himself a try as well. Yep. So he had a really strong game. I'm keen to see him progress across the rest of the season. Yeah. Because we're looking for a dynamic and mobile number six. We are. So Salkai Loto... Uh, he's a lock, in my opinion, playing number six. Really? Yeah. But if you think about it, you want your number six to have a fair bit of mobility, particularly on blind side defense yep. or scrums. And he just seems to be one or two steps a little bit slow because he's such a powerful man. Yeah. And so I just worry that... Well, I don't worry. I think that Valentini is a more mobile option. And if he continues his good form, then he may well offer a really good option at number yeah. six. For I, I think that Valentini is a better on-the-ball player yeah. than Salakai Aloto. Yep. Yep. Um, he, he's better with his passing. Mm-hmm. He's better with his line breaks. He's better with just... He can bust a tackle and he's, he's got the ball free to, yep. to offload. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he generally, nine times out of ten, he will pick up that bad pass as yep. well. Yep. So I'm impressed with him. Now, James Slipper is having a bit of a renaissance since having left the Reds. Yep. He left there in pretty troubling circumstances. He had a cocaine charge. Um, he admitted to having some really significant uh, personal issues that were going That's on. Right. And he basically spent some time away from the game, yeah. sorting his personal life out. Yep. And since moving down to the Brumbies, it's almost like it's a second lease of, on life for him. Yeah. And he is doing incredibly well. So I am excited for our front row. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for the Brumbies front row because it's basically the Wallabies front row. Uh, except for maybe Hooker. But who... Uh, I don't know. Oh, come on. I don't know. Who else? I don't know. Who else? Um, Tupo? He... I don't think he's pushing for a start. I do. I think Sorry, he's that's happening. wrong. I think he's pushing for a start, but I don't think he's edged out. So okay. Because yeah. I think Alatoa might well be captain. But Tupo brings the running game that Sio doesn't have. Yeah, true. And he's still strong <laughs> in the scrum. I reckon he could do 40-40. First 40, Sio. Second 40, yeah, another player, and I'll we'll talk this a bit more when we get to the Reds game. Mm. But another player that I think in the front row particularly has been really, really good this season. Yeah, and I don't know if he's eligible for the Wallabies, but JP Smith. Yeah, he's been huge. Yeah, he's been playing really, really well. Um, we'll have to check out his eligibility and comment on that because I do week. know that him and his uh, brother are South African Ruan. heritage. Yep, Ruan. Um, but we'll see because he's he's having a good impact. And they've played for the Reds row. for ages. I mean, Ruan's down at the Rebels now. Yeah. But did you um did you enjoy Tupo's Instagram stories? 
Oh, so, they're brilliant. <laughs> so he and um, Ruan Smith last season were like room buddies and stuff and we travelled together all the time. And Tupo would all just always jump scare Ruan Smith and film the entire thing and her reactions were golden. He does this thing where he like... He has this high-pitched sort of squeal and dance number that he does when he's scared. <laughs> it's hilarious. You have to check it out. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, okay, so other players for the Brummies, I thought, played particularly well... Uh, Ryan Lonergan is killing it. Yeah. So, supposedly, Joe Powell was given a bit of a rest for this game. Okay. So, he was on the bench. Yep. Um, but they wanted to give Lonergan a chance because he played really well off the bench in the previous two mm-hmm. games. But Lonergan took the chance, scored a try, and just absolutely... He, he's nailing it at the moment. His kicks yeah. are accurate. His service from the base of the rock is quick and accurate. He's making little snipes here and there. Yep. I'm really, really impressed with him. When Joe Powell came on in the second half, he was, in my opinion, maybe I was fanboying over Lonergan, but <laughs> I just thought that Powell looked just that step too slow. He picks the ball up, takes a step or two and passes. Yeah. As opposed to Lonergan, who's just chucking it out, kind of Aaron Smith-esque from the base. Well, that's um, something that uh, Will Genya was criticised a lot for last year, mm. was that he was a bit too slow to, to get the ball out. But he's he's young. He's only 21, Lonigan, So he's got a lot of rugby ahead of him. Yep. So there's no rush for him. No. But, I mean, realistically, who's the Wallabies scrum half? I wouldn't... I I don't think we're at a position yet to, to name names, really. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why his form that he's showing at the moment is... It's at the very least intriguing. That's right. And it's something to watch over the coming weeks. Um, any other comments that you want to say about this game? Um, I thought something that was quite ironic was that the Sunwolves scored their first try off the line-out more. Oh, really? Which I thought yeah. was brilliant. Um, yeah. Apart from that, unfortunately the scoreline did blow out a bit. And... For the Sunwolves, I don't think the scoreline really reflected their performance. It does look like they copped a bit of a shellacking. But mm-hmm. when you watch the game, they were still in it. Like, well, yep. not in it to win the game, but the effort was still there. Like, they scored a, a late try. Um, they were still pushing. They were making their passes. They were hit, making their tackles. Um, it's a bit of a sad state that the Sunwolves are in at the moment, but yeah. they're trying. Yeah, and I mean, for those of you who do not know, the Sunwolves are getting cut at the end of the season... Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons behind that which we don't really need to cover no. now. But it's sad because they have one of the best home supports um, ever. So and not ever. Yeah, and basically ever. Actually, and it's sad to rugby. think that they may potentially not play another home game this year. Yeah, yeah. Due to the coronavirus. Um, okay, I think we can probably move on from this game. I just yep. want to make one quick comment. Lalesio still played... Well, he's behind a pack that's moving forward and he's doing everything right that you would be expecting from a young fly half. He's developing well. He is. Um, As a point of interest, Lelessia came off in the 61st minute and Reshan Pasatoa, who was the 2019 schoolboys fly half, came on. Okay. Now, he didn't look particularly confident or assured because a lot of nerves and a lot of pressure. But I just like the fact that we have basically a schoolboys fly half coming on and getting blooded early so it's not going to be a case with like Foley where he leaves and then there's nobody to follow him up so I like the succession planning that Mikel is obviously doing even this early on even with the fact that Alessio is basically a rookie himself that's right alright cool let's move on so the second game of the week for the Australian conference was a played across the ditch in Christchurch where the Crusaders hosted the Reds um 
scoreline, unfortunately, was 24-20 to the Crusaders. And I've got to say, the Reds were really in this. Mm-hmm. They were close. I think they're going to be seeing this as a disappointing loss yeah. because of everything they did to put themselves in a position to win. They were they were so, so close. And unfortunately, yep. that seems to be the theme of the season for the Reds this year. Yeah, it's really disappointing. And I'm trying to think about the reasons why this is the case. Part of it comes down to the fact that they're still pretty pretty raw and they're inexperienced. A in some they're areas. a really young team. Yeah, but I, I was reading an article about this. I can't remember who wrote it, so yeah. apologies was it on I the raw? Quote. Yeah, I think I it saw was. this. I saw Talking this about succession well. planning with yeah. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, the problem that Thorne has is on the spine of his team. It's his 9, 10, 12, 15. Yep. Okay, so basically the backline playmakers. Yep. The forward pack is doing really well. No one has any issue with the forwards no. at the Reds. The problem is the lack of maturity and combinations that he has within his backline. That's right. Now, part of that is because Samu Karevi left last year. But their strategy last year was basically give it to Karevi and see what he did. Yeah, wait for him to make the break. Exactly. Um, the problem that they're facing now is born of the fact that they had Quade Cooper. Yeah. And then Thorne came in and he obviously clashed with Quade Cooper and sent him off to play club rugby in the Queensland club system. And he was basically on his whatever million dollars a year, however much he was (laughs) earning, playing club rugby because Thorne didn't want him as a presence within the team and drove him out to play over in Japan. And that... Oh, he went down into uh, (laughs) Melbourne first. Oh, yeah, sorry, to Melbourne and um, and then over to Japan. Thank you. And... But the problem with that basically means is that there was no experienced fly half for people like Hamish Stewart, particularly, to be learning from. That's right. And so now they come into a system where their most experienced backline playmaker is James O'Connor. That's right. But James O'Connor has been playing number 13 for sale over in the English Premiership for the last two, three years. He's not a 10. He's not a 10. He's not an out and out 10. He's a 12 who is deputizing at 10. But he's doing well. He is. I mean, okay, he wasn't playing this game. No. Um, so they had Isaac Lucas in at number 10. And he. let's just speak about him. He played fairly well. He he drove the line well. He uh, he drove his his backs around fairly well. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the Reds missed James O'Connor that much. I don't think by having James O'Connor in that 10 jersey, they would have won the game. No, I mean, because realistically, we can say the reason why they lost the game. Yeah. They kicking. lost the game because of their kicking. They did not get a conversion. They scored four tries to three. They didn't get a kick all night. Yeah, they didn't get a kick all night. And some of those attempts were just woeful. Well, let's come back to that point later because I don't want us to cover yeah. that too early. Yep. Uh, it's going to be a special segment later <laughs> on. But if the, the worrying fact is that they're getting themselves in the right position. They're doing the right things. But then just sometimes these basic errors like kicking skills yeah. are really letting them down. Yeah. Um, so I just worry that Thorne may well be an incredibly inspirational leader. figure and leader yep. and kind of motivator of men. But whether he has the specific skill, maybe he maybe he needs to get a better staff around him for that skill development side of things. Mm. They've got Jim McKay as the attack coach, and that's going wonderfully. Like, they are a strong, yeah. exciting attacking team. Yeah, they've got a good so attack. That, that's good, but it just seems like some of the basic skills, particularly in kicking... Are lacking. Well, if we take the kicking out of the game, and unfortunately, this was a game that was lost due to the kicking. Yep. 
their handling wasn't bad. Yeah, true. They didn't drop a lot of ball. Maybe I'm conflating the two, bringing the two together. Yeah. It was just so disappointing to watch. Um, talking about the kicking with Jock Campbell, how exciting is he on a counter-attack? Yeah. Particularly. Yeah. He almost every time is beating the first man, like clean break the first time through. He is an incredible runner and returner of the ball, but the thing that's massively letting him down is he's chosen to be the kicker for the competition or for the Reds at the moment, and he is not doing well with his kicks. One of the things I noticed when I was watching this game was that they had a very New Zealand style of of rugby that they were playing. They scored a lot of their points off counter-attack, which was good to see. It's good to see an Australian side that's taking the initiative to have that set up whereby mm-hmm. when they turn the ball over, they're looking to run it yep. and they're looking to find that space. Yep. So one of the things, <coughs> I was just checking the stats for it. Jock Campbell made eight runs on the weekend and he had six tackle busts. Yeah. So that's nearly one every run that he's making. The only person who had more tackle busts was Taniela Tupo, but he had 14, <laughs> he had 14 runs. Now, um, admittedly, that's not surprising being a front three. Um, he's going to be doing a lot more runs closer to the ruck, so he's not yeah. going to get those tackle busts. Yeah. But it's just showing the incisiveness of Jock Campbell on those counterattacks. Yeah. And that's that's really something that's absolutely awesome to watch. It is. Um, I think Hunter Paisami had a good game too. He really continues to impress with his ability to just cut back against the grain with these really hard underlines. Yeah. And... I'm kind of looking for him over the next month or so to keep doing that. Yep. And but to maybe to add some, maybe a better offloading yep. element to his game. Yep. Um, maybe a bit more of a step rather than just trying to run over the top of people. Yeah. Uh, so I like what he's doing, but I just hope that over the coming games, he'll try and be a little bit more nuanced about how he plays when the occasion requires it. That's right. So he's got that ability to break the line as Samu Krebi used to have, mm. uh, but maybe looking for that offload once he, he has that made that line break. Yeah. Now, another player that I thought really put his hand up and a lot of people are talking about on the socials is Harry Wilson at number yeah, eight. Yeah, he was huge. He was absolutely huge. He made 24 runs on the weekend. Yeah. 24 runs. Now, I got a try as well. Good on him. 126 um, meters. 126 meters. So that is the most of any player on a Reds team. By far. By far. So the next highest is Jock Campbell on 76. And Salakai Loto at 77. Oh, 77, yep. Just. So you've got Harry Wilson on 126. So he had, what was it, three tackle busts. He had a try assist as well. He had an incredible game. And... I personally think it's too early for Wolby's commentary. Oh, yeah. But he's setting himself himself up well. Very I think well. Nisarani is the incumbent, and Nisarani should be the number eight yep. at this point. At this point. But let's just see how things well, go. Well, it doesn't hurt to have uh, Wilson hanging around the squad a exactly, bit. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Give him that experience. Yeah, even if you bring him in just as kind of a development player. <laughs> Sorry. Even if, you, <laughs> even if you bring him in as a development player, I think that that is a wonderful opportunity for him moving yeah. forward. And you could say the same about Scott Young. You could say the same maybe even about Harry Hawkins. He's still pretty young too. So there's a lot to like about the Reds pack. Now, there's another thing to look at here, just looking at these stats alone. Uh, A point I made earlier about them being quite a mobile pack or a mobile team. Mm. This is a really mobile pack. Look at the run meters that they've made. Salakai Loto at number four, 77 meters. Yep. 
Taniella Tupo at um, 75. At prop, 75 yep. meters. JP Smith, 24 meters. Yep. Angus Scott Young, 35 meters. Harry Wilson, 126 meters. Like these guys are making some ground. Mm-hmm. It is great to see an Australian forward pack that is running the ball. I am really excited about where they're going. I kind of count them as like a good version of the Waratahs. I don't expect the Reds to win this season, and I don't expect them to tip the to pip the Brumbies for the conference. Well, unfortunately, leaders. I think we're round six this week. Yeah, and they're five um, and one now. And they're five and one. Yep. So they've been in it, and yep. they've been close yep. a number of times, yep. but they just haven't been close enough. Mm. Well, with that being said, why don't we move on to the next game of the weekend? So the next game of the weekend, actually on Friday as well, was the Waratahs versus the Chiefs. It was a home game for for the Waratahs being played down at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong, which uh, I've heard described many times since as Lose Stadium because they got pumped 14 to 51. They got smashed. And you know what just made it even worse, Mitch, was that we were winning at halftime. I know. And the Chiefs came out really strong at the start of the first half. We fought back, had a really good second quarter, went into the sheds in the lead by one point, and you just thought, maybe, just maybe, we might come away with this game, or at the very least, it could be close. But, dear God, no. No. Uh, I think as a Waratahs fan, we've been in this position before. (laughs) In this position, we're currently sitting in a lot, being thumped by a Kiwi side, but also being up at halftime and thinking, we've got this. (laughs) Well, what, and then to let in 34 <coughs> on 90 points. Let's take a step back from that devastating second half. Um, so it was Kirtley Beale's first run out as captain of the Tars. 147th game for the Waratahs and first as a captain. So congratulations, Kirtley. Sad that it was such a rubbish second half. Um, I, was, um, I was hopeful going into this game. Uh, the Waratahs... Had not beaten the Chiefs had not beaten the Waratahs in Sydney since two thousand and seven. Yeah, and they had an 80 percent home win rate. The Tars. Now the Chiefs came into this game with no Damian McKenzie. He was being rested for All Black duty for some reason, considering we're only like six rounds in and they already had their bye. Whatever. Um, and the Chiefs also had eight changes from their team last week, and yet. And yet, they started incredibly strongly. Um, Now, there was this moment right at the start of the game. First minute of the game. The Chiefs number eight, whose name in this moment I can't remember. He... Actually, do you have his name? Sawakula. Sawakula. He makes a run. Pretty sure it's off the kickoff. He gets tackled. He lets go of the ball. Gets up again. Picks it up. Keeps going. Now, that is legal. The thing that annoys me is that, in my opinion, his ankle was still being held when he tried to get up, or when he did get up. And it's really annoying me how much that tactic is being used when players are still basically, they've made the tackle, they're hanging onto the legs, or they've just let go of the leg, and now they're rolling away to get up and rejoin the defensive line. Yep. The player just gets up and goes again. Yep. And I'm like, come on, the tackle's been affected, yep. he's been held, he's been released you shouldn't be able to get up and pick the ball up and then make that run straight through. That's right. So that's just a small point. It's happening a little bit more. I don't mind the fact that it's a tactic because it means that the defensive line needs to be a bit more condensed to be prepared for that. But 
It's just a little bit cheap in my mind. I don't know. There's but, a little bit about it that rubs me the wrong in way. in saying that, the reason that that happens is because there is no defensive pressure at the breakdown. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. So this is one of my key takeaways from this game is that the Waratahs had next to no presence at the breakdown. Mm. Uh, just before we recorded this pod, I went through and watched the Waratahs highlights again because that was the, the thought that stuck in my mind after the game. And I thought, I need to check this to make sure it's right. And it was. The Waratahs hardly ever went in at the breakdown. Mm. They just let the Chiefs have every single breakdown. There was no contest at all. Yep. Now, I understand if the, early on in the game, you're going in to the breakdown and you're getting penalized by the ref, so you pull it back a bit. But yep. there was just no effort from yep. the Waratahs to contest at all. In it the was second lazy. Half, in the second half. Like in the first half, yeah. it wasn't as bad. But in the second half, something just... It got worse. Switched. Yep. Big time. Um, so like we said, the Waratahs went into the sheds 14-13 ahead and then they came out. Um, the penalty count was 6-5 in favour of the Chiefs. It was actually 6-1 at one point, yeah. which was pretty worrying, but then it did even itself out. The thing that absolutely killed the game off was two tries within two minutes, the 42nd and 44th to yeah. the Chiefs number nine, Brad Weber. Um the first one was through the middle of the ruck. Horrific ruck defense, which is exactly yeah, what you're just speaking right. about. And in the second one, I was watching it and screaming at the... T- well, not screaming at the TV, but basically... Don't worry, I was out, screaming at the TV. Just short side. I could see it from my TV, the fact that the Wallabies, had o- the Waratahs, had overcommitted to the ruck and they didn't have anyone... Def- they had one player defending the short side. Yep. Brad Weber noticed it, gets through the gap and try and it's just so frustrating when those basic elements of defensive systems yeah. are, just go missing and you ship two tries to a quality team Yeah, when you've done so well to put yourself in the lead going into the half. That's right. Um, yeah. I Look, it just... The defensive effort by the Waratahs this game was just below average. Mm. There was a lot of players that were walking. Um, I particularly noticed that Harry Johnson home. I don't know what was going on this game, but he did yeah. not have a good game. Yeah. He gave away the easiest penalty at the beginning of the game. Um, they kicked it for the first three points. Then I think the second three-pointer that he, he gave away again, yeah. um, being offside. Another, they scored a try in the second half where he just didn't make the tackle. I don't know what it was, but particularly... Unfortunately for HJH, mm. he was just left wanting in this game. Well, I think if we're to summarize this game, it was rubbish second half, characterized by a lack of effort. And Rob Penny was really scathing after the loss. Yeah, I haven't. He said it, he said it was embarrassing. I haven't seen the um, the post match interview, oh. but I did hear. Yeah, he was very very critical, and he basically said it was inexcusable the way that they played in the second half. And I kind of pity him because he's come in relatively late into the piece with a team that he hasn't been able to have mm. any control over the yeah, players. Yeah, say who he has, and what, what team he's got. You know what it makes me think? I think we're missing Ned Hannigan. When, a, when is Hannigan back? He caught There that. is absolutely no information about yeah. it. And that's really worrying. Yeah. So he is having recurring concussion issues. Yeah. And he must keep failing his concussion tests and because the concussion it's been, protocol. He hasn't been played at all this season. Nearly 10 weeks since he's injured himself. Yeah. That's worrying for him as a person. So I hope he gets better. Yeah. But 
as much as he was maligned when he played for the Wallabies because he was pretty raw and new, yeah. he you can never, ever take away from the effort that he puts in. That's true. He's much like Hooper in that regard. Yeah. Hooper is a workhorse. Yeah. He'll always be putting in 110%. And he did this game as well. Mm. Even until the last minutes, he was like the one person trying to stop the Chiefs. Like one-man team kind of thing. And I just I think I just, they're missing that from Haddigan. I don't know where it comes from, whether it's it's lack of experience, but they, they switched off. Mm-hmm. Is it lack of leadership? I don't know. But in that, the, the last play of the game, unfortunately, <laughs> Curly Bill drops Knocked two it on twice. absolute stunner passes straight to the breadbasket and he drops it. Mm-hmm. The first one he drops it, they, re- they set a scrum. Uh, I think it was a few minutes later, same thing happens right in front of the posts. Ball comes out to Curtly and he drops it again. Yep. Now, this is the thing. Curtly drops the ball, picks it up and goes to ground. Referee hasn't blown the whistle, play on. Chiefs player comes over the top, steals the ball, runs through and scores. Now, why are there four or five Waratahs players standing there watching this happen and not doing anything about it? They're not six. Yep. They're not six. This is not under tens. This is not under twelves. These guys are professional rugby players, and that is just not good enough. If we're trying to take something away, because we're a positive podcast. We like rugby, and we want to be bringing something positive to the game as incredibly hard as it was to find here. I thought um, James Ram, who had who was on the wing, had his yep. first start. I think he played pretty well. Yep. At one point, he receives the ball like five metres from the line and does a huge clearance kick that reaches to about the 22 yep. of the Chiefs. So that was impressive to show the basically the strength of his kick yeah. and could be a good option for clearance kicks later on. Um, I thought Harrison played okay. Yep. If we're just He's getting better having number 10 shot. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, it's really hard to shine when your team's getting pumped, but he kept up the effort the entire time. Yep. And I just feel sorry for Curly Bale because you can criticize him for sometimes switching off or making basic errors, but he would have cared deeply about being a Waratahs captain this yeah. game. First time ever. And then to just have a really disappointing home loss. You just feel sorry for the guy. You can see it after the game as yeah. well. They yeah. they interviewed him and he was he was shattered. They interviewed mm-hmm. Carmichael Hunt as well and he just he just gave nothing. He just said we've got a lot of soul searching to do. Yep. And it's kind of in a way it's nice that they're saying that. They're recognizing that it's not good enough, but yeah. you just hope that it results in action for the next yeah. game. All right. Up from here. Let's move move on. So the last game for the Australian Conference this week saw the Rebels take on the Lions down in Melbourne. This was played on Saturday afternoon or evening, 7.15 kickoff. Um, Good to see the Rebels come away with a win, 37-17. There was a, a lot of good things to say about this game. I think the Rebels have really hit their strides in the last few weeks. Firstly, happy birthday to Matt Phillips. It's his 26th birthday on the weekend, so happy birthday. <laughs> Sorry, it's the details we need to know about. That's it's good to know someone's across it. Good, good. Um, did you know it was the first time the Rebels have had an unchanged lineup since 2015? Really? No, yeah. I did not know that. So the first time they've had the same 23 in consecutive games since 2015. And they'd never beaten the Lions before. Yeah, that was a good win for them. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um... Do you remember last year's game against the Lions over in South Africa? The Rebels game? Yeah. 
Uh, where they were up. The Egon Seconds game? Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, for those who don't know, I can't remember the specific score, but the Rebels were up significantly against the Lions in the first half. They were up by 13 points. Up by more. 13 points, playing really, really well. Then, the penalty count was 20 to 1 yep. in the second half. Like, not no exaggeration, I looked up the stats. Yeah. It no. was 20 to 1. Yep. And they ended up losing the game. So, By a point or two as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was pretty significant. One of the things we didn't cover in the news commentary earlier was Green and Gold Rugby. They put yeah. out an analysis on the bias that hometown referees have on hometown games. Yeah. And what emerged is that New Zealand referees are slightly harsher on New Zealand teams. That was Australian, interesting. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was quite interesting. Yes, yeah. but not significantly, but just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. And One Australian referees are a little bit biased towards home teams, Australian teams, and South African teams by a measure of over like 120 penalties are... It was more than that. Yeah, it was... They are so biased towards towards South African teams. So, I just thought I'd bring that up there considering we're talking about the Rebels versus the Lions, but... We're talking about the game from the weekend, so let's get to it. Um, I thought the Rebels did a really, really good job. The Lions have been poor on this tour. They've lost two from two so far. They haven't looked particularly strong. No. They're not the team that competed and base. The, the Lions had a dynasty a couple of years back where they had two successive appearances in the Super Rugby, Super finals. rugby finals. They had basically a whole host of the South African Super Rugby, um, South, South African, African Springbok, team. Springbok team were Lions players yep. before Ackerman moved over to the Premiership. Um, Ackerman was a coach. And they are in a hefty transitional period. You basically look at their team, and it's really only Elton Yantes who's still there from that. And Duplessis. Yeah, Duplessis. Duplessis is there as well. Yep. But yeah, this is a completely new team, and I don't know if it's... I'm not too familiar with their their lineup, but whether it is that they've got a new team that's full of young, inexperienced players, or what the go is, I don't know, but they just looked slow. Yeah. They lacked any form of punch in this game. Agreed. Agreed. They just... What the Rebels out-enthused them basically in all aspects of the game. They had greater intensity in the kind of defensive line. Yep. They had greater ruck pressure. Um, Look at that. Pos- possession, 56% to the Lions. Mm-hmm. 56% territory to the Lions. And yet, 37 to 17. Yeah. It was... They can have as much ball as they like, but they just did nothing with it. Exactly. And what really you kind of see from those stats as well is the... Way in which the Rebels have obviously been working hard on their counter-attack game. Yeah. Particularly off kick receipts from just kind of like a midfield bomb yeah. or something like that. Or turnover ball lines, kick it away, and then the Rebels are looking to counter-attack. Well, as we said last week, game. Dane Halepetti is looking very comfortable on that high ball. Yep. He missed one. Did he? Yep. But he had heavy contact in the air. Uh, but it was um it was competing contact. Yep. So it, it was the player didn't it was get legal. yellow. It was legal. Yep. But the huge shove, both of them ended up missing the ball. So yep. he missed one. Okay. Yep. Anyway, he got, every, down. he got every other one in the game. <laughs> now, someone who I thought played remarkably well this week. Again, we said it last week. Andrew Kellaway. He is looking fast. Two tries. Two tries. Although that last one, that was a bit questionable. Did you see the replay? Yeah. Yeah. He almost dropped it over the line. I. Yeah. He. Anyway. <laughs> uh, he was wiping his brow going, whew. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, think he, I think he thought that he dropped it. Yeah. But that he's just making holes all through the Lions' defense. He was just punching through, mm. and his speed onto the ball has been remarkable. Yep. He's one of those players that seems to have that immediate early um, acceleration, but can't. He, do, he doesn't have the late. He doesn't have a huge top speed. Yeah. But he accelerates really quickly, That's and right. so that gets him away from the contact yeah. point and away from any chasing. And he's fast coming. enough to maintain that distance. Yeah, correct. Um, <coughs> so he is doing incredibly well. He's, he's now the top try scorer for Super Rugby this year on seven, seven tries. tries. So he's basically he's more than one try a game, and he's averaging sixty three meters per game with eight tackle busts per game. So he's on fire and he's doing really, really well. Uh, so it's impressive to watch that. And I don't think yet he's going to be cracking Wallaby's contention. But you know who's meant to be coming back from injury soon? Who? Reese Hodge. Yeah. Where's Reese Hodge going to be? That's right. He. I don't think that Hodge is going to be in a starting 15. because For the Rebels? For the Rebels, yeah. Yeah. Because you're not taking Dane Helopetti out nope. of fullback. You're not you taking can't away off the take wing. the top try scorer out. No, like that to me would just be madness. And you can't lose Corabetti either because he is playing. He's getting better and better by the minute. And so then, what do you do? Do you take Tom English out from thirteen and put Hodge in there? But English is playing well, and the Rebels' defensive line has looked really strong. Maybe even with the Meeks. English maybe you take Meeks out and you put him at twelve. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but Hodge. I think Hodge is going to get stung with the Kirtley virus of being a quality utility back. I so, think Andrew Kellaway is a bit of a utility back as well. He was playing 15 was for he? the schoolboys. Yeah, so okay. he can play wing, he can play 15. Yep. He can probably move into 13. I wouldn't put him at 12. He's not particularly big, so no. he's only 94 kilos. I wouldn't think that he would be kind of of the size needed in the modern game for a 13. Although, with that being said, Tommy English is 95 kilos to Kellaway's 94. Um, so neither of them are particularly massive units. Um, but anyway, that's just an interesting point of contention. Did you know that Yanni Duplessis, the, so the Lions player, he's 37 years old, he's never scored a try. In yeah, I heard that. Yeah. That's that crazy. That was a bit of fun. That is crazy. Um, well, I'm just trying to think. Really, credit to Rebels. They've had two good wins in a row, and I'm yep. pretty sure they go into the bye now. I think so. Um, they do. So they get a week off to celebrate and to look at some areas to continue to be improving. In but they do forward. need to start stringing these wins together. Yep. 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 And, I mean, we'll get to that when we talk about some of the games moving forward and seeing who the Aussie teams are playing. But it looks like at this point the Rebels are the only realistic contenders to be challenging the Brumbies for the top spot. I, I really, unfortunately, I don't see them getting anywhere near. Oh, the I don't Brumbies see it either. so far ahead. And they've got bonus points from the last yeah, few games yeah, as well. Correct. So. correct. But if anybody was to, the Rebels are the only ones that are possibly in with a shot. Um, yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> So now is our our chance to have a bit of a, a yell, get a bit angry about our um, current state of the game in Australia. So we're having our weekly whinge. Now this week, we alluded to it before, but we have to talk about it. Australia's very poor kicking game. And it there- was pathetic. Now, in anything I'm about to whinge about or have a go at, it is not about the person. Okay? They kick better than I ever could, so I want to make that really, <laughs> really clear. But... These are paid professionals, 
And yet the Reds on the weekend did not kick a single goal, penalty or conversion. And they had three different people having a go. Yeah, they had three and every single person missed. And they were all bad. Like Malua took one, it was rubbish. Jock Campbell took a couple, they were horrible. And then Hegarty. who came on at the end? Hegarty. Hegarty. It was rubbish as well. All of them were bad. They would have won the game. A win away from home against the Crusaders if they could freaking kick sticks. It's massive. And that's a problem that we're seeing across the Tars. It's a problem we're seeing hugely at the Reds. Jock Campbell is not a front-line goal kicker. No. He seems to have been selected for it, but he has kicked poorly every single game that he's that's been right. a main kicker. Um, the only shining lights, and there needs to be some shining light. I might throw this over to you if you know who I'm thinking of. At the Brumbies... Ryan Wanigan. Yeah, I don't he's know who you're going to. He's kicked 100%. 100%. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, okay. He's absolutely killing it. Yeah. So at least he kicked 100% on the weekend. Okay. And he's had a really high percentage the last right. few games. Um, he's come... He hasn't played full minutes in the previous couple of games. Yep. He's come on in the last 20. But in a couple of clutch matches, he has got some really high-pressure penalties out from the, from the side. And... He has a beautiful technique, and it's actually, um, Dan McKellar has spoken to the fact that he really prizes his goal kicking as something that sets him apart from yeah. the other number nines, particularly Joe Powell, because okay. Joe Powell doesn't kick. No. Um, so that's just awesome to see. <coughs> but, seriously, Australian rugby, what is going wrong? Why it, is it that we can't do this? It just doesn't make any sense. These guys are out there getting paid to play rugby. Like, they spend all week training. They should be out there just kicking them from everywhere on the field. There is no excuse for not being able to kick the ball over the black dot. Of at least like 70% of the time. The 90% minimum, the minimum of the time. Co- well, I don't get how rugby league players do it and yeah. have an average. Like, how did El Masri, we mentioned it last week, was like 90% plus. And then we have Australian super rugby kickers at 50s. It's that just, is pathetic. And to think that the the Reds would have beaten the Crusaders at home in Christchurch had they kicked two penalties, two conversions, two conversions lost in the game. It was four points. It's just, it's mind-blowing. And it's something we really need to look at going forward because when we play Ireland in June and July... It's going to be a penalty first. We are going to get absolutely out-kicked if we can't kick a penalty. Exactly. Well, there is a shining light. Even though we're annoyed at this, yeah. there is a shining light, and that man is Ryan Lonergan. So thank you. That makes me feel better. Actually, Matt Tamu is doing pretty well as well. Yeah. He is probably the best, and he's going to start number 10 for Wallabies because he can kick sticks to yeah. a decent level. Yeah. All right. I feel a bit better now that I've vented about that. Thank you, Mitch. <sighs> <laughs> Moving on. Well done, everybody, on reaching the end of the podcast. This is our final section where we go through the predictions for the following week of games. So coming up is round seven of Super Rugby. And the first game involving an Australian team is the Reds versus the Bulls at Suncorp Stadium on 14th. Now the Reds are currently sitting on eight points in 10th position on the ladder, and the Bulls are sitting on six points in 11th. So, Mitch, thoughts? This could go either way, really. Uh, the Bulls are coming out from South Africa this week. The Reds are playing at home. I think this is their third home game in a row. Oh, wait, no. no they, they were in Christchurch last week. A yep. um, bit of travel for both teams, but... Uh, the, let's see. I've I wanted to say this the last few weeks. The Reds have been so close. Mm. They've been so close in so many of their games. Is this the week that they're going to finally break that duck? Yep. Um, I'm going to lock it in. I'm going to say let's go for the Reds, and I'm going to say by three points. 
we're we're ever hopeful. Something we're ever week. hopeful, and <laughs> we're going to kick something. Sure, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I'm ever hopeful, and I think the Reds are building towards something. Like the Crusaders game, they played well. They did. They really did. So I'm confident they can get it up against the Bulls because the Bulls have not been good this season. No. So I think Reds, and I'm going to say by ten. 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 Okay. Bombers. Well, it's not that many. Come on, it's only a try and bit. Now Again, this... I'm assuming they kick something. So that's true. Maybe I'm being unrealistic, or maybe that's two tries. They just don't convert. And they don't convert anything. Now, the second game of the round (coughs) for an Australian team, technically an Australian team, is the Sunwolves versus the Crusaders. This, Mm -hmm. again, is being played in Suncorp. It's actually being played before the Reds game. Yep. We've got the Sunwolves currently on 15th spot with four points uh, up against the Crusaders, who are in fourth spot on 18 points. There's only one way this game is going. This is going to be a bloodbath. This really is. By how many? Oh. If the Crusaders don't score more than 80 points, I'll be surprised. Really? Yeah. Okay, I don't think the Sunwolves are that bad. But this Crusaders team... Yeah, I mean, they're good. The Reds put 60 on them. That's true. The Reds game was sparkling, though. That was... In in my mind, that's an aberration of quality. Like, everything they tried came off. Yeah. I personally think by 50. 50. Now, yeah. obviously, that's still a crap load. Yep. Uh, but it's a little bit more conservative. Anyway, so let's see how that one rolls out. Um, now, next up, we have a derby game in the Australian Conference. You have the Brumbies versus the Waratahs at GIO Stadium. And the Brumbies, currently top of the Australian Conference and third overall on the ladder and justified. It's not third because they're the conference leaders. It's a real third on 18 points. And the Waratahs are languishing in 14th on five points. Again, I only see one way that this yeah, game Yeah, there can going. really only be one way this game will go. Mm-hmm. The Brumbies have to win. Especially down in Canberra, it may well be wet, it may well be raining and cold, and if that's the case, then the Brumbies forwards game is just going to overpower the Waratahs. Well, how many times have we seen it this year? The Waratahs do not play good wet rugby. Correct. Correct. So let's see how that goes. But again, I'm looking at the Brumbies, I reckon, by three scores. Yep. Roughly. I'm going to say 20 points or more. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, that's the games for the following week. Mitch, over to you. Well, thank you for joining us for our second week of the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast. We will be back next week where we'll be chatting about all of the predictions and the games that we just spoke about. So thank you for joining us and we'll catch you then. Catch you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.